0: If you would just bow with me in prayer before we look at God's word together. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is uh, eternal, that it is life-giving, that you create and you recreate through your word. We pray this morning that as we open your word together, uh, as we hear you clearly speak to us, that you would come in this place, that your spirit would move freely in this place, that you would take the truth of your word and apply it to our hearts and our lives. We pray that uh, as we spend time today, that you'd be glorified, that we would make much of you, that we would see how all that we seek to be and all that we are and all that uh, is being done is, is through you and what you've done for us in your son. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Uh, it's, if, if you know me at all, or, or you, you've been here before, you've heard me uh, over a length of time, I often will come back to basketball and different things. Uh, Yeah, I I hear some people. Yeah, we've heard this before. I I love basketball. I grew up playing basketball uh, from the time I I remember being in, I think, first or second grade and getting to play in a basketball league uh, with my brother. And I was hooked. It was like, this is my sport. Uh, We played all sports growing up, but basketball was always my favorite. And I loved playing basketball. And we started playing from from very young age and so played all the way through. Uh, I jokingly will say at different times, like if I spent as much time studying as I spent playing basketball, I would have made all A's all the way through. Uh, and I say that jokingly, but it's not really a joke. It's kind of sad. That's actually very true. If I had if I had studied as much as I played basketball, I would have made really great grades. And so I played all the time. And so when I was in college, I used to play with some buddies of mine, and we'd go in the rec center. And we'd play five days a week. Every weekday, we'd play in the afternoon after our classes. And uh, one of my friends that became one of my best friends that I met through playing basketball later was my roommate in college. We would sit there, and we would grade guys that we played with on their basketball IQ right? We would decide by watching them play, how well do they understand the game? And so there were certain guys who would be like, "Ah, we're not playing with him. We're not picking him up on our team because he doesn't get how you do this. And so uh, we were kind of basketball snobs in that sense. We both started since we were so small that you just saw certain things in the way they developed. And so you wanted to play a certain way and with certain people. And so we used to talk about that all the time. And what we came to is you could tell guys that had started playing when they were real young and had played, actually played a whole lot. Like there were guys that would come in that would be great athletes, way more athletic than we were, way faster, stronger, all that stuff. But they didn't really understand the game very well. And it was usually guys that had started playing later in life that I'd just like to do this. And they didn't really get the game and how it was. And so I used to think about that a lot on how the, the correlation between just playing a whole lot and your understanding And how to play and how to play well with others in terms of just the way you move and the way you play and all those kind of things. And I was thinking about this 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 week and and those conversations we used to have as we used to talk about those different things. And I started to think about it in terms of what we've been talking about or in correlation with what we've been talking about as far as discipleship. Uh, the last couple weeks, and now this being the third week, we've been doing this series just called Up in and out, up in our relationship with God, in with the body and out to the world, growing in each one of those areas and how vital that is to our discipleship. Discipleship simply means growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of your life under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's what we're called to do as a church. I've been saying that the last couple of weeks. We've been saying that for the last couple of years. Our mission as the church is to make disciples who make disciples. This is absolutely vital to all that we are and all God calls us to be. And so I started to think about it in terms of basketball and playing basketball and those different things and in those different ways. And what I was thinking about is that experience of playing all the time, how vital that is in your growth as a basketball player. I mean, like there's a whole lot of things that go into being good at any sport basketball. In particular, you have to shoot a whole lot. You have to work on dribbling drills, You need to be able to run and and not get tired. And so conditioning is important and all those kind of things are vitally important. But none of those things take the place of actually playing and playing a lot. You learn the most about how to play the game by getting on a court with other people and just playing a lot. And so I was thinking about that in terms of the way the church today often does discipleship. And the way I'm going to say this. You can disagree with me. We can talk about it after. But what I'm saying is the way that I have seen the church do discipleship in my life. And so I'm speaking of what I've seen. If that's different in the way you've seen it, that's great. Let's have those conversations and talk about it. But the way I've seen discipleship done in the church in my life is oftentimes kind of like trying to play basketball by just reading about it and watching about it. Like maybe watching a game once a week and then reading a book about it. Or maybe I go out and I I dribble for five minutes when I have time and then I watch a game on TV and then expect to be a really good basketball player. And and the reason I say that is what I've seen in the church in my experience in my life growing up is when discipleship gets talked about, it's kind of this vague thing that's out there. Everybody agrees we should do it. Uh, We can quickly quote the Great Commission. Jesus said to go make disciples. Matthew 28, last thing he says before the ascension go make disciples, we kind of know. And then when we talk about it, what usually happens or what we usually mean with discipleship is uh, we get in the Bible study or an older believer takes a younger believer and we have coffee every other week. Or we uh, go to worship and if we're really, really committed, we maybe go on a retreat once a year or we go to a conference and that's what we mean by discipleship. Now you can correct me if your understanding of it's different, but this is the way it was kind of always told to me growing up. And so I want you just to think for a second, take my experience out of it. If somebody asked you, how do you make disciples? What does discipleship look like? How, what would you tell them? How would you tell them that works as far as what God's called us to do of making disciples? What is that? How does that work? What does that look like? And you don't have to answer. I just want you to think about how you would articulate that to somebody else. How does that work? What I think we end up with is something that's almost as absurd as thinking I can be a really good basketball player by watching a game once a week. And that's the way the church oftentimes does it. And so what I want us to think about is how do we begin to see and do and function in discipleship the way Jesus did it. After all, if we're seeking to be obedient to Jesus in every area of our life under the uh, power of the Holy Spirit as disciples, we should probably look like Jesus in the way we make disciples, right? The the picture in Scripture is to be a disciple of Jesus, being obedient, but then it's also to go and make disciples. It's both and. And so for us to begin to follow Jesus and to look that way, I want us to think about what that actually looks like. And what I often see and what I've experienced in the church growing up and then what I see in the Gospels of how Jesus made disciples, they're very, very different. And again, that's my experience. And what I would tell you, just a banner over everything we're going to look at this morning, Uh, Mike read to us just a second ago, John chapter two, and we're going to look at that, the wedding at Cana, and they go there right before that is Jesus calling his first disciples, right? In the end of John one, you see that. And he says it two different times as they come and they ask him and they say, teacher, where are you staying? And you know what he says to him? He says, come and see, right? He says, you guys come with me. And then a little later, he'll call some other disciples and he'll say, you guys come follow me. He'll do the same thing in Matthew chapter 9 when he calls Matthew. He walks by the table where Matthew's working and he says, you, come follow me. And you see this over and over that when we start to look at discipleship the way Jesus did it, there's this component of Jesus saying, come follow me. Come follow, walk in my ways and be with me and look at what this looks like. He'll say later in Luke chapter 6, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. And so if we're seeking to be obedient to Jesus in every way, to be his disciples, then we should be walking in the ways of making disciples in the way Jesus did. Doesn't that make sense? It seems to hold together. That seems pretty straightforward to me when we start to think about it and talk about it together. And so this morning, I just want us to look at this idea. We're going to look at three different snapshots and just ask the question, what does it look like in the way Jesus makes disciples? How did he do it? What were the things he was walking in and how was he doing this? As he goes and what it looks like. And so that's what I want us to think about. And then at the very end, I just want us to do like we've done the last couple of weeks. Because we've talked about this idea of up, in, and out. Our relationship with God, with one another, to the world. Just thinking about that. And we've been saying, or I've said the last couple of weeks. And I know I've gotten great feedback from different groups who've been saying, we're, we're sitting down together as we meet during the week and reevaluating how are we doing on our up and our in and our out. Same thing today. How are we doing on discipleship the way Jesus lays it out? If we were to take stock on how are we doing in making disciples the way Jesus did, just how are we doing in that? And so we're going to look at that and think on that this, this morning. So two things before we jump into these three different snapshots that I want to make sure that we're we're resting in as we begin in this. First and foremost is what we talked about last week. Each one of these kind of goes directly together. Last week we talked about to make disciples. In the way Jesus is called to make disciples, we have to be utterly and completely dependent on the Father through what the Son has done by the power of the Holy Spirit, or it will not work. And so last week we talked about how vital it is to let God's word stand over us, to be constant in prayer and doing this. We cannot do this in our own power. That's everything we talked about basically last week. So if you missed last week, you just got the free one of last week in like 15 seconds. There you go. Right? Big picture. Completely dependent on him. But then the second thing that I want to make sure that we see completely and totally as we begin to look at these snapshots. Jesus is our perfect example of how to do this. We are called to be obedient to him and look to follow him and become like him in every way. But the wickedness and sinfulness of our own heart wants to make it that we are accepted by God by how well we do this. That is not the gospel and that is not what we celebrate as we gather together. We're not taking stock of this to see how good of a Christian we are and how pleased God is with us. It doesn't work that way. God loves you completely and totally and fully because of what Jesus has done for you on your behalf. And we now get to live this way in light of who we are in Christ. Big, big difference. If we see this as like, oh, no, I'm not doing this that well. God's not well pleased with me. I'm blowing it. I'm missing it. That's not the heart of the gospel. That's not who we are in Christ. We now get to live this way because we've been united to the Father through what Jesus has done, and now the Spirit is indwelling us. That's something very different. It's very exciting when we start to see it that way. There's a great quote in your bulletin this morning from Michael Frost, and he says this. He says, The quest to emulate Jesus isn't folly. When it's embraced by those who know they are forgiven for all the ways they will fall short, it's a daring exploit. You hear what he's saying? You're already forgiven. God's already done it all. We now get to live this way in light of who we are in Christ. And we're not going to do it perfectly. And we're going to make mistakes. And we're going to have a lot of false starts and a lot of struggles as we do it. But we're completely forgiven and we now get to live this way. And so let's go after it. It's a daring exploit to live the way that we are in Christ, who we now are in Christ. And so make sure we have that standing over us as we look at all this. This is not to beat you up and go, man, I don't do this like Jesus did. Yeah, well, join the club. Neither do I. Right. That's why we're, we're growing in our discipleship together. And so with that in mind, let's look at these few snapshots here as we look at what Jesus did and where he went. So just start with me in John chapter two. If you want to follow along in the, the pew Bibles, that's on page 576. And so John chapter two, uh, great insight for you. It comes right after John chapter one. Uh, where Jesus calls the first disciples and he calls them to come follow me. And then the next thing God inspires John to write down in his word is that they go to this wedding in Cana. Right. John two, verse one, on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. You see this more than once in the Gospels. You see the same thing in Matthew chapter nine. Uh, Jesus calls Matthew says, come follow me. Very next thing, big party at Matthew's house, John's gospel. Come follow me. Let's go. And then the very next thing they go to a wedding feast, which is a party that lasts like all week in their culture. And so twice you see this where Jesus calls disciples says, come follow me. And the first thing they do is they go to this great, big, huge party. And so they go and they're spending time there and he's there with them. You know, the story, they run out of wine. Things are kind of falling apart. So what are we going to do? And Jesus gives them instructions to go fill up the six stone jars there for Jewish rites of purification. And he says, fill the jars with water and they filled them up to the brim. And when they took some out and they tasted it, it's this incredible wine. Verse 10 tells us they saved the best for last. Jesus makes this incredible wine and he does this miracle. So this, when we look at this story, and so we're, we're focusing on discipleship this morning, big idea, big picture of how Jesus did it. Did it. And so let me just apologize from the beginning. I'm going to leave a whole lot out as we look at these few snapshots. A lot is, is ending up on the cutting room floor as it is. Right? So we're getting to John 2. There are so many things we could look at and talk about what Jesus is doing in a wedding feast and starting there and how that points to all that he's going to do and these incredible pictures that are there. But there's one thing that I want you to see, one big idea as we talk about discipleship. Jesus calling Matthew and having this party in his house. Jesus calling the first disciples going to this wedding. And the first thing I want us to think about is that discipleship happens in all of life. Discipleship happens in all of life. Jesus takes his disciples and he goes to this place and he takes them to this big party. And this wasn't some side note. Oh, I guess if I've got to go to this, maybe you guys should tag along. Jesus is very deliberate in everything he's doing. Come follow me. Let's go. And so you go to this party and they begin to, to step into seeing discipleship in all of life as Jesus takes them everywhere he goes. Which was, that's the way you did discipleship in their day. You followed your master everywhere. It's part of your life in all these different areas. And so Jesus is showing them in all these different things that this growing in our up relationship with the Father happens in all of life. Discipleship happens in all of life. And I think part of the problem on why the church oftentimes our discipleship looks nothing like the way Jesus did discipleship is somewhere along the way. We've got this weird idea that uh, certain times are times with God. We we talk that way. Right. I'm going to go to church. Right. You can't go to church because you are the church. But I'm going to go to church and I'm going to meet with God. Or I'm going to go to this place or I'm going to go on a retreat and I'm going to get alone with God or I'm going to meet with God. And we talk that way oftentimes. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. In fact, last week we talked about Jesus getting away for time with God for 40 days of praying. And so I'm certainly not saying that's not the case. There's a time for all these different things. Yes, we're called to get away and pray. Yes, we're called to gather together and worship. Yes, we're supposed to come together and sing our praises and hear from God's word together. All those things God commands us and calls us to do. The problem is when we begin to put this title that those are times with God. And here's why. Because the assumption then becomes that all the other times are not times with God or they're less time with God. Yeah. Yeah. God's still there, but it's not really time with God. This is time with God. And we start to, to divide it out that way. You ever think that way? You start to think that certain times or more times with God. And we just wanted to dispel that from the very beginning when we talk about discipleship. It's all time with God. All of it. The wedding feast is time with God. Everywhere Jesus goes, he's teaching and he's discipling and he's doing this in all of life and everything. And we somehow we've missed this idea that engagement is just as important as the time of getting away. It's all time with God. It's all part of how we're growing in our relationship with God. Look at what Jesus teaches. Again, I'm leaving a whole lot out, but big, big picture right here in the midst of this wedding. Right. In verse six, when they run out of uh, the wine, he says, it says there were these six stone jars there for the Jewish rite of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Right. These were the jars they used to wash for all their ritual cleanliness. And you had to go through these steps and all these things. And it was part of the Old Testament law. And that's what they would do. And that's why they're there. And that's what it's talking about. Jesus' audience would know this. The original audience would know this. And so Jesus says, take those jars and fill them with water. And then he turns them into wine. Right? They take it out and he turns them into wine. Do you see part of what he's doing? And this is not the fullness of of everything he's teaching. But one part of what he's showing them is this idea that this part and ritual things that we do over here is time with God and the rest is not. And he just smashes that apart. As he takes the purification jars and turns them into the wine of hospitality and friendship and all that. And he puts it all together. Do You see what he's doing. It's all time with God. Discipleship happens in all of life, everywhere you go, every day. And that's the way Jesus moves and goes with his disciples. And so that's the first snapshot I want you to see. And again, forgive me for leaving so much out in John chapter 2. We can talk about that later and come back to that. Love that passage. But I just want you to see that big picture, that discipleship happens in every area of life. Second snapshot I want you to look at is Luke chapter 7, page 561. If you want to follow along in the pew Bible in just this picture, Mike read it to us just a second ago. Uh, Jesus goes into a house of the Pharisee. This is a verse 36 of Luke chapter seven. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him and he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. Not all that different from our culture to go into someone's house and to eat with them was like an extending of friendship It's a very intimate thing to go into somebody's house and to share a meal together with them. You see Jesus do this over and over. He goes into this house of the Pharisee and he sits at the table and he begins to share this meal. We'll see in a second as he addresses uh, Simon, Peter, Simon and Peter, same guy. Or sometimes I say Simon, Peter can be confusing. Same guy, though. He's there with them. So the disciples are there. They're sharing this meal with this guy, one of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders. And this woman comes in. It says a woman of the city who was a sinner. And she was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house and all of a sudden she starts weeping and cleaning his feet with her tears and wiping his feet with her hair and all the scenes going on. And the Pharisee says, like if he knew what type of woman this was, he wouldn't be letting uh, her touch his feet like this. Right. If he was really a prophet, he would not be letting her respond to him in this way, which it shows us very clearly that the Pharisee totally misunderstands who God is and how you approach him, right? I mean, that's just right off the bat. He's totally missing it. And then so Jesus begins to tell a story in the midst of this, right? So this is just them sharing a meal. Disciples are there. This lady comes in, and then he starts to tell this story. And so he says, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he says, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owned 500 denarii and the other 50 and when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, I suppose, uh, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. And So what does he do? He takes the situation and he surveys the misunderstanding of what this guy's saying. And Jesus begins to teach. He begins to tell them what God's like and how he's misunderstanding it by telling this story. And so I want you to notice, I'm not going to hammer on this real hard today, but we've been talking about this idea of the up, our relationship with God, in with each other, and out to the world. You see all three of them at work perfectly in what Jesus is doing right here. He's gone into the house of the Pharisee that invites him in that doesn't understand who God is, and it's real clear about what he says. The out is there. He's going to the world that doesn't get it. He's taken his disciples with him. They're seeing it, and he begins to teach with what's unfolding right in front of him. And so the second thing I want you to see is this picture that as Jesus goes, not only is discipleship in all of life, not only is it all time with God, but then he teaches and uses the things of life as we go. That's what it looks like in discipleship. And so notice what he starts to do. He tells this story about forgiveness and what that looks like and who would be more uh, uh, more understanding of grace. Would it be the person who's forgiven of more? of little. That's aimed directly at the Pharisees. I think it's also actually aimed somewhat at Peter from what he says to Peter in just a second. And he's teaching all of them on all different levels. He's showing them what God is like as they're on mission together to people who don't yet know Jesus. And it's in all of life as they go sitting together, eating meals. Jesus begins to speak the truth into this. And so what does he say? Then he tells this, uh, he turns to Simon to Peter and he tells him. He says, do you see this woman? I entered the house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you her sins, which are many are forgiven for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And then those at the table who Were with him began to say among themselves, who is this that he even forgives sin? And then he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. What does Jesus do in the midst of all this? He teaches everybody what grace looks like. He makes it very clear that you're saved by grace through faith in what Jesus has done. I forgive your sins and it's through your faith. He speaks the gospel into all of life in every situation. He reveals Peter's heart. He says, do you see the way that she responds to me? Because she is so thankful that she gets it. Peter, you don't respond to me that way. I think Jesus is actually working on something with with Peter and his discipleship of Peter. There's something going on in Peter's heart that he sees and he's bringing delight and he's speaking truth in the midst of it. And you see this whole picture unfold. And I just want you to understand as you see all this, none of this happens. None of this scene unfolds with people just sitting around in a Bible study together. It's people on mission Out together, walking in life, in these things, and their heart getting revealed in the midst of life. I don't know about you, but I will just, I I will confess for me. If I get together with other believers and we're praying for each other and we're in a Bible study, which is vital and important and absolutely, we need to be doing that. Don't, Don't misunderstand me. That is absolutely part of our discipleship. But in those moments, my heart doesn't get revealed of what I'm really struggling with. Not usually the things, the times when my heart gets most revealed, when I struggle the most and remember what Jesus told us and what he taught us, go make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I commanded. Sometimes in our discipleship, it looks like we're teaching them all that he commanded. It's teaching us to obey all that he commanded. I need people walking with me in my life when my heart gets revealed. My heart gets revealed when I go to the soccer field and the coach doesn't play my son as much as I think he should. My heart gets revealed when I go play basketball and some guys are real jerk to me. My heart gets revealed when my kids are disobedient and I'm at the end of my rope and I'm not sure how to handle it. I need people helping to disciple me in those moments. And that's what Jesus does. In all of life, as he goes, in everything, as your heart gets revealed, Jesus is right there pointing back to what it looks like. It's exactly what he's doing here. And so discipleship happens in all of life. All time is with God. But then it's teaching in every one of these moments as we go. Right? Go and make disciples, teaching them to obey all that I commanded. That's not going to happen fully and completely if we just get apart at different times. But we have to be integrally revol- uh, involved in one another's lives as we go. And you see Jesus do this perfectly all the way through the Gospels. I've picked three snapshots for you here, but go and read through the Gospels and you're going to see this everywhere he goes. Yes, he goes to the synagogue and he preaches and he teaches. Yes, they have times apart with just the disciples. But there are so many times when they're walking down the road together. There's so many times when they're sharing meals with other people. There's so many times when they're going to proclaim the Gospel to people that don't yet know Jesus and he's teaching all of them all along the way. Discipleship is in all of life and in all those areas. That's the way Jesus does it. So one last part here. We said at the beginning, a disciple is not above his teacher, but when everyone, but everyone, when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Jesus says that in Luke chapter six. And so the idea of seeing Jesus make disciples, we're seeking to be his disciples. But as we grow as his disciples and we're going to be fully trained to be like him, it means we're going to then make disciples. Correct. Correct. Right? To be like Jesus and to follow him doesn't just mean we're personally going to be a disciple. We're going to seek to help make other disciples. Right? Those go together. And so look at what Jesus does in Luke chapter 9. And he does this over and over. We're going to come back to this in a couple of weeks and look at this in more in depth when he sends out others. But look at what happens in Luke chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. And so we've got discipleship as in all of life. As we go, it's all time with God teaching as we go. But then look at what he does. Luke nine, verse one. And he called the 12 together and he gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. And he said to them, take nothing for your journey, no staff nor bag, nor bread, nor money. And do not have two tunics and whatever house you enter, stay there and from there depart. And wherever they did not receive you, And whenever they do not receive you, when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed and went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Then verse 10 is when they return. He says on their return, uh, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. And so the picture here I want you to see is it's in all of life. It's in everything we do. It's all time with God teaching as we go together. But then as we begin to grow up in this, this, pic, this picture, this snapshot in Luke 9, these disciples have now been with Jesus for a year. They've been spending a year with him, walking with him in all his ways and seeing all he's doing. And then Jesus takes him to a point where he says, OK, now you're going to go do this. You guys are going to go out and you're going to begin to proclaim and you're going to go make disciples and you're going to begin to do this. And so what you see Jesus doing as he disciples and as he brings them up, he then gives them active experiences where they begin to step out in faith. Notice what he tells them. You don't take anything with you. No money, no food. No. What's he saying? You're going to be completely and utterly dependent on me as you go. And you begin to step out and you begin to make disciples in every area of life as you go. And he gives them this opportunity. And then it says in verse 10, they come back and they tell him everything they did. They start to report on what it looked like and how it went, and they're giving him feedback, right? And he's teaching them, and he's showing them. Now, this makes perfect sense if we're talking about making disciples who make disciples. And, in fact, we know this in every area of life, if we're honest, right? If I'm going to teach you how to be good at shooting a basketball, right? I can't teach you how to jump. <laughs> I can't teach you how to run that fast. I could teach you how to shoot, right? That's the one thing I could teach you, right? And so I could tell you how to hold a basketball, you put it in your hand and you need to keep it in this hand and your guide hand needs to be out of the way and you keep a perfect L and you keep your elbow in and you extend and you follow through until you shoot a basketball. And if you do that and you get those basics right and you practice, you can get really good at it. And so I can show you that and I can teach you that, but you're not going to become a good shooter by just me telling you that. What's the next step? I have to hand you the ball and go, okay, now try it. Then the first time you try it, it's going to be awful. It's going to be like your elbow going to be out here and you're going to push it and you'll probably miss it and it won't look very good. They go, no, 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 no. You need to bring your elbow in. We need to go over that again. And then you got to do it. And then you've got to do it some more. And you have to do it some more. And then you start to become proficient in it. That's exactly what Jesus does here. They've been walking with him for a year. And then he says, okay, now you're going to go out and do this. We know this in everything. You can ask my wife, you can ask Joanna about it when she was uh, in residency. Or you can ask anybody that's been in the medical field. There's, there's a saying when you go through your training. Right? They say, you see one. You do one, you teach one. That's how you learn. Right? And so you go and you watch somebody stick an IV in somebody and then you go, okay, your turn. Which is so much fun when you're the person who's there. This is my first time. <laughs> you ever had that?
1: <laughs> I had that
0: happen once and she missed like eight times. And then finally they were like, all right, let's get somebody else in here to do it. Right? But you don't learn until you begin to try to do it. And then once you get it, then it's like, okay, now teach somebody else how to do it. Isn't that a perfect picture of what discipleship is? And in fact, that's what Jesus does all the way through. He does it over and over. And so he begins to give us active experiences of what that looks like. Stepping out in faith, complete reliance on him and what he's doing to make disciples. And so I want you to think about that big picture that's there. This is just three snapshots. This is not all inclusive of everything Jesus does in discipleship, but this is a big picture. And so let me just ask the question as we kind of come to the end here today. Is that how you're making disciples? Is that how you're being discipled? Is that what it looks like? Is that what it's looked like in your life? I want you just to think about that for a second. Or what I said at the beginning, if you were to tell someone what does discipleship look like and begin to kind of lay that out for them, is that what you would come up with? That's the way Jesus does it. And we get called into this life to live this way, to begin to give our lives away for one another, going to the world, doing it together. Notice he's always with a group of people. It's not you got to go do this on your own. We do this together. And so I want you just to think about that picture for a second as you ask that question. What does that look like in your life? And then let me remind you of something. Odds are everybody here is going, Man, I kinda of stink at this. Or in different ways I stink of this. I haven't done this quite that well or I don't I, come correct me if I'm wrong. If you've got this down perfectly the way Jesus did it, please come see me. Because we've got some help for you to do in equipping others to do this. Right? I need to know that because we're going to plug you in to help equip others to do it. The truth is, we all fail in different ways. And so, hear this. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The good news is, God doesn't love you any less if you're not doing this very well. The good news is, we get to live this way, and your greatest joy will be found when we begin to live in the ways that Jesus has called us to live. It's all good news. No matter where you are in the midst of this. You say, well, I don't want to do this. Okay, great. Tomorrow's going to be even better. As we begin to start to obey in these different ways. And so if you don't have a clue on where to begin or what that looks like, let me just tell you two things as we close. One, we're seeking to do missional community groups here. And I talk about this frequently. I'm going to be honest with you. None of our missional community groups look like the snapshot that I just gave you. And I can say that for my own because I'm leading one at my house and our sudden quite look like this. We've got a long way to go. And I think I speak for all the people that are involved in all of them. Everybody would say, yeah, we don't have this quite down yet. But this is the model. This is what we're going for. And the reason that we're going for this is this is who Jesus is and the way he made disciples, which is really, really exciting. And so the, the, the uh, challenge or the invitation I would say to you this morning is if you're not involved in one, get involved in one. And then the second thing I would say is if we go, man, I'm not exactly sure what this looks like. I'm not exactly sure how to do this. Not in the way that Jesus does it completely. The second thing I'd say, so get together with some other people and begin to ask God to show you. Who are you sending us to? What does that look like? How are we going to do that? And begin to seek him to show us. It's only ever going to work if we're completely and totally dependent on him in all things. And so if you don't know where to begin, that's where you begin. We get together with other believers and we ask God to do this work in us and through us. And he promises to pour out his blessings, to abundantly give us this life that he's called us to. So there's no downside. It's all better as we begin to do that. And so wherever you are, please remember this whole picture, everything Jesus is doing and saying. He's calling us. Uh, to be obedient to him in every area of life, go make disciples teaching them to obey. And so when God speaks and we see his word and how he does things, we have uh, a choice. Are we going to obey? Are we going to follow him and what it looks like? And what I keep pleading with you in all this is, is as we obey, it will only be better. There's only a more abundant joy available as we follow Jesus in the ways he's called us to. So let's pray. God, we thank you for the glorious picture of your love for us. I thank you for even in the midst of these things, as Jesus teaches and as he walks, he's continually pointing us back to it all comes together in him. Just as he tells the woman at the table washing his feet, by faith you've been saved. And it's all Jesus is doing that you forgive us, that you uh, remake us, and we thank you for that. I pray that you would help us to be ever more obedient to just living in light of who we are in Christ, that we would see a great harvest of disciples, making disciples for your glory and for your honor. We pray all these things in Jesus name. Amen.